everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the RegTech Pulse. Today, we are joined by Sophie Laguanel, who is VP of Product Screening at LexisNexis Risk Solutions, and Vincent Godell, who is our financial crime compliance expert with LexisNexis Risk. Thank you so much both for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Julia. It's, it's great to be here. So today's episode, we want to talk about transaction screening. It's always um, it's always a hot topic, but we want to talk in particular about some of the requirements, some of the challenges that we might be seeing at the moment, and really what makes an effective transaction screening program. So before we get into that, um, Sophie, I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about your role um, at the company. Yes, sure. Hi, Julia. Hi, Vincent. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, my role is really to overlook a, a team of 20 people who work with the market, uh, our clients, our compliance experts, just Vincent, uh, to imagine and then help design and develop uh, the next generations of our solutions. So whenever there's a there's a challenge, uh, we see an opportunity to help our clients and uh, really design the capabilities that are going to make a positive difference for them. Perfect. And Vincent, your role? So my role is to, to bring a compliance perspective uh, within the teams. So typically I uh, interact with uh, with Sophie's team and other teams as well within uh, within Nexus Nexus Solutions, typically data teams, and also engage with uh, with uh, wider external audiences, really about uh, trends in financial crime compliance, looking at what's uh, new regulatory challenges emerge and what it can mean in terms of uh, product needs and, and, and new data to, to build for our customers and really helping them to, uh, to, uh, to detect risks. So you're very well versed in the subject that we're talking about today. So starting on that point, actually, Vincent, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about maybe some of the requirements around transaction screening. Why is it needed? How have they changed? Um, what's What's key for customers at the moment? Yeah, so just to, to, to clarify what, what we are really talking about here, transaction screening is what uh, concerns like the screening of sanctions lists. There is an, there is an, in the area of financial crime, there is also an, a separate discipline, which is uh, monitoring of transactions from an AML standpoint. But today we're really uh, looking at, uh, at uh, transaction screening for sanctions. Um, just, I mean, so that, that's, uh, that's area that, that's neat. Uh, emerged as a, a result of uh, smart sanctions. Uh, smart sanctions are uh, sanctions that are specifically targeted against a list of persons and entities. Those types of sanctions, they, we can date them back to uh, the early 21st century. So traditionally, before that date, you had uh, sanctions programs that were uh, implemented against broad countries, like broadly speaking, right? you had countries applying on a full country, right? But those those are broad sanctions that were heavily criticized because they had unintended impacts on ordinary citizens. And so some of those critics suggested that we should instead seek to really uh, target the effects of those sanctions on the key individuals and entities uh, that, that we wanted to disrupt. So the, the smart sanctions uh, emerged typically as a response to uh, to terrorism. Uh, the 9-11 attacks uh, and really the, the emergence of a global terrorist threat. With that global threat that was no longer limited to a particular state, uh, international organizations as well as states started to put together lists of those adversaries that were subject to, to, to restriction. 
when you have those list of targets, that's where you uh, can start to implement uh, smart controls and targeted controls. One way to do it is to look at your customers and make sure you don't have bad guys or sanctioned entities among your customers. But you also need to factor in the, the, the flows of values, the flows of funds, the flows of assets. Because you could very well have a non-sanctioned customer that is trying to uh, send or, or that is receiving uh, values or, or funds from a sanctioned individual. And that person is a counterparty to your customer, but it's not your customer itself. So you need to look into the transaction messages to make sure that none, none of the parties, your customer and the other side, are subject to, uh, to sanctions. And what are some of the um, some of the key regulations that we're seeing in terms of the regulating bodies, in terms of some of the the legislations which have come in that people need to be aware of at the moment? Oh, so that's an interesting question because, as often in uh, in uh, financial compliance matters, it all come, it, it comes from the top. So you have the, the international standards that pretty early on. Uh, uh, acknowledge the need to look into transactions and, and to have some transparency around uh, wire transfers. So the FALEF recommendations initially included uh, a set of special recommendations that were uh, specifically designed to disrupt terrorist groups. So you had special recommendation seven that was aimed at implementing transparency around fund transfers. When the, when the when the Financial Action Task Force released the, the the current, uh, the current set of 40 recommendations, that special recommendation was uh, incorporated into recommendation 16. It's still, it's still there in nowadays. Recommendation 16 uh, talks about wire transfers and essentially requires um, the, 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 the service provider that process a fund transfer to include information about the payer and the beneficiary. And that's, that's Commitment that call for transparency on fund transfers is basically the prerequisite to have and to implement uh, transaction screening. If you if you don't have the name of the parties in the transfer, what are you going to screen against? So that's really the the baseline is to have that transparency. But that's here I'm talking about international standards and uh, those are not directly binding on worldwide on, on global banks. So those standards had to be implemented in uh, local uh, local regulations. So typically those those regulations are known as uh, the travel rule. That's what you have in the US and equivalent regulations in the EU. And basically in all places you have that uh, regulatory requirements to have transparent from transfer. Let me just conclude on one thing because we have heard about uh, the, the need for transaction screening and the, 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 the usual way to, uh, to circumvent those controls. The, the, the famous notorious uh, stripping cases. Um, everybody has, has heard about those, those massive uh, settlement agreements issued by OFAC uh, against the world's largest banks. And oftentimes when you look at the details of the findings, those fines relate to banks that tried to hide the involvement of sanctioned parties in a very simple way. They just remove the data that, that could be that would hit against the sanctions list easy enough. If you have a swift, if you have a swift payment that contains the name, the, the the country Iran, you know that you're gonna you're going to get a hit. You're not you know that you're you're going to be blocked by by a U.S. bank. So those banks they were found they were found to just remove the that information uh, to 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 hide uh, involvement of sanctioned entities. So tripping was a, a key determinant in the in the largest settlements issued by OFAC.
Got you. And and Sophie, I think well, I mean, obviously, with there are there are new standards coming out to to address those issues. So it must be. I mean, we know it's a very challenging landscape. What are some of the key challenges that you are seeing at the moment or you think companies need to be prepared for in the near future? Yes, in terms of challenges, uh, th- there are many uh, and uh, and the speed of change uh, of the sanctions screening landscape uh, is one of them. But of course, also the, the scope of screening. Uh, so it's no longer just your traditional banks or financial institutions that are required to screen. It's really any any payment processing actor. And we've seen the raise of uh, fintechs in this field. Uh, we, we've seen with the peer-to-peer payments and all kinds of, of transactions that the scope is increasing and, and becoming more um, diverse in terms of the actors who need to screen and the type of payments that need to be screened. Uh, so it used to be mainly cross wire transfers and now uh, domestic payments and all types of payments and use cases uh, can be subject to screening. And actually, the form of the transaction uh, makes it a, a challenge because uh, if, if you're a bank processing all types of payments, you do need to adjust and make sure that uh, the format of those payments uh, are also, you know, you, that, you, that you are literally enough in those various formats to be able to apply your controls. So we've seen that uh, uh, even though the, the, the sanctions world in and of itself on the regulatory side is changing, and, and is changing very rapidly. The the industry of payments is also changing and has moved to the new ISO 2022 uh, interbank standards recently, which has uh, been a really a disruption. Uh, but also the process involving fintech integration uh, is is making it a, a much more challenging landscape in which to operate screening. And uh, I was mentioning peer-to-peer payments. Of course, uh, there is the how, uh, which is different, but there's also the speed. So the uh, the expectation that uh, everything that used to be done in a in hours or even days needs to be done in a few seconds uh, is increasingly uh, making it challenging to to do all the operation and the reliable screening that um, that that processors need to operate within a very very short time window. So, so we used to speak about real-time payment screening. Now we are more speaking about instant payment screening, uh, which, uh, as you can imagine, uh, with the increasing volumes at the same time, is not an easy thing to apply. No, totally understand. And then, and then again, the other thing that we always hear about from from customers, or I, I hear about often, is this the false positive challenge. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and then maybe from a from a technical side, obviously, in terms of, of the areas that you're involved with, Sophie, how are companies addressing that, particularly in light of, of these sort of surging Russian sanctions that we've been seeing in the last 18 months or so? Sure. Uh, and and uh, the, the, the false positive, the false positive alerts, false positive rate, that's really about all of the transactions that get stopped that shouldn't have been stopped uh, for, for, for the right reasons. But actually, with a, there is such a little appetite for risk in the sanctions uh, sanctions world, uh, as, as Vincent was saying, you know, there's an obligation uh, with, with high stakes in terms of potential reputational risk or, or fines. Uh, that that often um, you know payment processors need to determine what is the right balance between stopping too much and stopping too little, and they often choose to stop too much 
And then, of course, by mechanically, that creates a, a set of false alerts and false positives that need to be managed. And uh, thank God there is a there is now a, there are new ways to reduce the false positives. Technology is really helping. Structured data is also helping. So maybe we can take one and the other. Let's start with the structure of the data. Uh, so with the ISO uh, standards, now transactions need to be structured. Uh, concretely speaking, it means that every field within the transaction that holds uh, information is separate. So you have a, a name field, an address field, a set of fields that are supposed to be very labeled and dedicated to a certain type of information. And of course, on the list side, we also have structured information. So that allows, if we do the right matching of one with the other, to reduce the noise that typically would come from, uh, you know, mixing a blob with a blob. So that's that's one area of opportunity. Uh, the, the second area of opportunity really relates to the latest technologies in terms of uh, managing automatically the alerts to de decipher, you know, the, the 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 true ones from the false ones automatically via advanced scoring. And on that, uh, there's, of course, uh, the, the temptation to go uh, AI is the solution, data analytics and, and artificial intelligence. However, we see that our clients are, are fairly um, prudent on using AI because on the other side, they need to make sure that it's totally explainable, that the models don't uh, move away from the initial setting that has been part of model validation. And so there's, there's a, a lot of... Um, uh, at this moment uh, of uh, um, scare around uh, using AI uh, to, to to be managing false alerts. But there is an opportunity in analytics and, and data science, uh, which allows more around the likes of entity resolution techniques to do a, an advanced scoring. And uh, if we imagine an alert between well, Sophie and Sophia, automatically, uh, in, with inf make an informed decision, but an automated decision of whether Sophie and Sophia are the same entity by including external information that allows to make a, a reliable choice. So entity resolution and, uh, and, and automation is really, uh, in today's age, uh, getting to a new potential of uh, managing those alerts uh, more, more automatically to reduce the false positives. And that allows to uh, focus the, you know, the, the, the people uh, on investigation rather, rather than uh, alert review and being able to focus them on the, also the most interesting tasks and the more critical. So we've talked about the false positive reduction side and a question for both of you, I suppose, is what, what are some of the other technical advancements that you're seeing or key developments that you're seeing in this area other than the false positive reduction? One area that uh, I think I'm looking into and back to uh, what Sophie was saying earlier, that uh, there's lots of innovation on the types of payments that are now offered to the market. Um, I'm particularly looking at, into uh, uh, the scanning of crypto transactions. Uh, that's, that's an innovation that allows people to send money across, across borders. Uh, Without really necessarily uh, including a name, so that, that's that, that's really uh, interesting in a way that you you had a, a technology that emerged um, that enables the the flow of uh, the, the flow of uh, value across borders without uh, incorporating uh, natively that that transparency requirement. What we are seeing now are uh, 
like regulation catching up on that and FADEP made it very clear recently that um, those providers uh, of uh, crypto asset services should uh, comply with the, with the, the, the requirement on transparency of fund transfer. The thing is, it, uh, technically, it was not embedded into the, 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 crypto, uh, the, the, the crypto system themselves. So they have to create a new layer of information sharing. They, they, they need to, uh, to add uh, an infrastructure and, and, and a set of formats to be able to, to, uh, to comply with that, uh, that requirement for transparency. So that that's uh yeah that, that's a development you know, a new type of, of transaction sharing. Uh, back to the point that basically it does not matter really what what payment instrument you are uh, using to uh, to to perform a transaction. It's really uh, the use case for a particular flow, right? If you are sending money to another person, uh, that's that trans that transaction should be looked at from uh, from a sanction standpoint. And maybe I would add to uh, what Vincent said uh, on the technology side, uh, uh, you know, the, the need to better manage uh, cost, because we've talked about higher complexity, higher volumes, uh, you know, continued and actually additional scrutiny from regulators. These all adds to the to the operations that actually need to be managed uh, by uh, by the payment processing actors, especially at large a large scale. And uh, th there is a, a mechanical uh, increase in the cost of screening, which has gone through the roof. Uh, we know it's very costly uh, to to maintain good compliance, but uh, you know sanctions sanction screening is really uh, with due to all this complexity uh, has really in increased. Uh, and uh, the good news is that there are opportunities to uh, to reduce that increase and to control that cost. And uh, the fact that now uh, financial institutions are more open to having a cloud-based strategies where they can, uh, you know, gain some uh, some savings in terms of the infrastructure, for example, and being able to uh, leverage the cloud capabilities to scale up and scale down. Uh, is bringing some savings, uh, is actually also uh, probably uh, saving some energy uh, for, for the planet. But what they're looking at right now is uh, how can we manage scale without increasing the cost uh, in, in proportion? How do we automate as much as possible? How do we reduce the infrastructure to, to the minimum that is needed at any point in time? Uh, scaling up or down as we need and, and leveraging the, the the people for the most intellectually uh, complex tasks uh, or more critical tasks and the rest is done by the machine with the proper reliability and the proper auditability so it's a it's a i guess there are some positives in terms of the technology helping to to leverage that trend of cloud also for the benefit of uh, of financial crime fight can, can i can i go back on the on the issue of first policies i feel like there is a few things to say on the i mean being mindful that it's not possible to seek for zero false positives i mean you cannot expect to, to get to, to get uh, only true positive, right? So the, the, the goal is to minimize the, the, the noise, 
uh, as Sufi said earlier, that those are the areas that you don't want to see, but you have to see them first to know that you don't want to, to uh, proceed with them. Right? I think it's really important to have in mind that um, like false positive is a byproduct of fuzzy matching. Right? So you have your fuzzy correspondence, but still it's worth taking a look at it. If you look at OFAC enforcements, they made it abundantly clear in various settlements that exact matching is not an option. It's not suitable for screening names against against, uh, against the sanction list. You can we talked about the quality of the data. You cannot be sure that you have uh, the name accurately captured, and likewise the, the, the on the on the regulatory list, you cannot be sure either of the the accuracy of the data. So you need to have flexibility because uh, you need to be you need to spot all of those sanctions. That's that's also here. You need to spot them all, right? You, you, there's a strict liability there, an obligation of result, and therefore you have to cast a wide net, and well, you have to suffer those so those false positives. You have, you have to go through that. Obviously, everybody's trying to to lower the burden, but I don't think. I mean, it's tempting to uh, to uh, to have hopes. Uh, with uh, of technology solving all false positives, but realistically speaking, there will always be things that's, uh, that uh, that are false positive in the end, but that take a, a human pair of eyes to uh, to decide. No, I get you. I get you. Um, but I mean, on that note of of increasing efficiency, I mean, obviously, if zero false positives is is never going to be a goal, there there must be opportunities for synergies between departments uh, you know are we seeing any sort of synergies happening between you know the transaction screening the aml those kinds of departments to make things more efficient so yes and uh, i invite uh, uh people working in banks that don't have those synergies working yet to consider them carefully because what we see at the moment are really like uh, very close uh Close the proximities among among the, those uh, those perspectives that we have in, in sanctions and AMR. Just to give you one example, one concrete example. At the moment, uh, all regulators are uh, really focused on uh, tackling circumvention of Russian sanctions. So they have done what they could in terms of adding new targets, adding new restrictions, like putting maximum maximum pressure on those uh, on those bad actors. Uh, and so basically, the, we are reaching the top of the ladder in terms of new new sanction sanction entity. Now, what the regulators are really uh, looking into are those enablers, those uh, uh, those third countries that still enable Russia to access uh, much needed goods, those countries that enable uh, Russian oligarchs to hide their assets, etc. So there, there are lots of, uh, of guidance, advisory documents that uh, highlight those uh, sanctions evasion typologies, and they describe, they, they, give, they give actual lists of, uh, of uh, high risk of countries, commodities of concerns, type of professions that might be used to, uh, to, uh, to facilitate, uh, facilitate sanctions evasion, uh, use of proxies, etc. What they tell you here, what they give you in those guidance are basically scenarios that you could implement on AML transaction monitoring tools. Or, types of questions or controls that you typically implement in the AML area, right? So that's that's a clear that's a clear uh, synergy, uh, basically to inform some of your uh, sanctions control to identify some of your exposure to sanctions risk. You need to leverage AML controls because it's not all in the sanctions list. Like the sanctions list is really the baseline. You're going to, to identify those people that are listed, 
but there is more to that. Uh, another, just uh, an another uh, bridge that can easily be made and should be made, uh, typically um, between anti-fraud controls and again uh, uh, sanctions uh, sanctions controls. That comes from uh, OFAC enforcement uh, over the past three or four years, maybe. I've, I think I stopped counting, but we have at least 10 or, or dozen of enforcement that relates to digital services that were provided to users connecting from uh, comprehensively sanctioned jurisdictions. So those guys, they were logging in from Iran, Cuba, and the likes, and the service provider was not able to spot that connection to an embargoed uh, jurisdiction and provided services to those entities, whereas it was prohibited. IP, IP screening, IP blocking controls are typically used for, for anti-fraud purposes, but with those enforcement actions, OFAC made it really clear that these data points should also be leveraged from, uh, from a sanctions perspective as well. So again, you see a clear bridge between the fraud area, the anti-fraud area, and sanctions compliance. And there is more, but really, I like to think of financial crime as a kind of a, uh, a global a glo global matter, right, with several facets. And uh, I think it's really essential to uh, yeah, to build bridges among those uh, relevance. And from a solutions uh, technology perspective, uh, I think you've you've used the right word, Vincent, about building the bridges, because we can't imagine to you know scrap everything that is already in place, uh, especially in the law organizations, to start from to start from scratch. But uh, we do need to have solutions and technologies that are open enough to speak to each other and speak to each other in real time, uh, leveraging the new uh, API-oriented designs the ability for information to flow, uh, and uh, and of course, finding operational efficiencies as well that allow to collaborate and, and share. Uh, and imagining a system that if you're looking at, uh, at an alert, it's probably typed as a sanctions alert or a fraud alert, but it's part of a bigger pot so that when we are navigating in time in terms of uh, of building history and, and so reading and leveraging the past events, that uh, they, they, they are connected enough that uh, both come up. And this is something that we see also in the specialization of teams being able to, um, to, to interact with each other in a much more efficient manner uh, to save time as well in, in identification of crime. Perfect. I think that that might be all we've got time for today, but very interesting conversation. I'm sure that we can continue it on plenty in the future. So Vincent Gordell, Sophie Leguanel from LexisNexis Risk Solutions, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks, Julia. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, Julia. Talk soon.